The first time I met Carrie Marr, we were in a private karaoke bar called the Spaceship Norebang in Busan, South Korea. Okay, that's not the actual name of the place. People call it that because this place really does look like a spaceship. You walk inside, there's an enormous staircase that leads you down under a giant silver bowl with neon lights blasting out. The tiles on the floors light up. There are S-shaped black pleather sofas curving around the whole place, widescreen TVs everywhere. And, of course, there are dozens of private karaoke rooms. One was being rented out by a few English-speaking expats. The music was off, the lights were on, and scattered around the room were scripts for Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. That's because people weren't here to sing karaoke. They were holding auditions for a Shakespeare in the Park show that expats in Busan put on every year. I was reading for the role of Claudio. The atmosphere was casual, so when I finished my audition, they asked me if I wanted to stick around and read with a few other actors, so I did. A few minutes later, in walks this huge guy, six foot two, 260 pounds, bald head, thick gray beard. He's quiet and friendly and says he's here to read for Leonardo, the father. He opens his mouth and delivers the most booming, powerful, professional grade, Do not live, hero! Do not ope thine eyes! Everyone's stunned. The director is giddy. And we're all thinking the same thing. Who is this guy? My name is Michael Freeman, and this is How to Make Money Traveling, a podcast by Outpost Travel Media. On today's show, I'm going to introduce you to Carrie Marr, who honestly has one of the most remarkable life stories of anyone I've met. It's, it's the story of a guy who all his life wanted to be a famous actor. And when that didn't happen, 58 years old, took a leap of faith and moved to South Korea. Now, he is more famous than he's ever been before. Literally, people stop him on the street and take selfies with him every day. In fact, it happens more than a few times during the interview you are about to hear. It's all because, as it turns out, Carrie really likes Korean baseball. And Korean baseball fans really like Carrie. In South Korea, the name Carrie Mar has become synonymous with Busan's Lotte Giants baseball team, whose fans are some of the most devout in the country. He goes to almost all the games, and the fans caught on. So I caught up with Carrie outside a stadium near Seoul where the Giants were playing the KT Wiz. That's coming up in just a minute. This podcast is brought to you by Outpost's new travel web series, Tan Your Mind to Thailand. Last summer, we put out a national call for two unknown travel hosts to send around the country, and we found them. We wound up sending Jess, a singer from Montreal, and Abra, a nutritionist from northern BC, all across Thailand to get a real feel of the country. They trekked across northern jungles around Chiang Mai. They snorkeled off the southern beaches of Koh Tao Island. They met a man who spent his whole life working with remote hill tribes near the Burmese border. They toured an ancient temple with a Buddhist monk. There's just so much. You've got to watch the show and see it for yourself. So check it out at www.tanyourmind.com. Follow Outpost Magazine on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to catch all the latest updates. Thanks to our partners in Adventure for helping to make this show possible. That's Cathay Pacific Airways, Osprey Packs, Chaco Footwear, and the Tourism Authority of Thailand. We met, obviously, doing Shakespeare in the Park 
in Busan through acting, uh, and you were at that point a seasoned actor, especially in Korea. Uh, I'm curious if that's always what you wanted to do. Yeah, absolutely, it is. Uh, I was a theater major, and in the states, I you know I, I taught theater, and in the summers, I uh, even in graduate school. Um, I, I had an agent and auditioned and did, you know, small parts in movies. Uh, my biggest claim to fame was a movie with Sharon Stone where I got to wrestle with her called Last Dance. And uh, I was in uh, The Road to Wellville with Anthony Hopkins and uh, John got to throw John Cusack out of a bar. So, yeah, acting was ultimately what I wanted to do, but I was pragmatic and also got a teaching degree. So my first job, I started teaching in Tennessee. And I tell everyone that was my first ESL job, teaching English in the mountains of Tennessee. <laughs> the English was kind of a second language there because um, it was a, kind of a backwoods kind of place. The school had 200 students. And, uh, you know, I was a hippie, had long hair, and they called me Grizzly Adams from the old TV series. And uh, so it was uh, always a combination of teaching and acting, but... You know, if, if I had had my dream job, it would absolutely have been acting, yeah. Did you want to make it big as an actor? Like, did you want to be famous? Yeah, uh, that wasn't the goal. I just wanted to make a living. And uh, for a couple of years, I did uh, just make my living acting, doing commercials and, and small TV series and things like that. Uh, but I guess, in a way, I was kind of a coward. Um, I, my mother had cancer for like 10 years and my twin brother was in Japan and my older brother was in California. So I wanted to stay within striking distance close enough to her that I could go visit her as much as possible. And luckily in North Carolina, um, there was a studio in Wilmington. So there were a lot of movies, a lot of TV series, lots of commercials being shot in North Carolina. So um, I was able to to pursue my dream a little bit, but not as as much as I would have liked. If you know, if I there were times when I wanted to go to New York or California, but again, I was kind of uh, a coward and also felt obligated to to kind of be as close to my mother as possible. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're uh, you're selling yourself a bit short by calling yourself a coward. I mean, it, it sounds <laughs> like you made a personal sacrifice. Well, you know, uh, I felt good about it, you know, and, and I, both of my brothers, I was with her when she died and she, she died on Christmas day and her last words were Merry Christmas, Carrie. And as difficult as that was, I think it was even more difficult for my brothers to not be there when she, when she finally passed away. So, eh, you know, it, it's like everything else. There were good points and bad points, but, uh, you know, sometimes I feel you know, little pangs of regret that I, I didn't go, you know, jump, jump in with both feet into the acting profession. But um, I've, I've, it's been satisfying. I've, I've gotten to act. And when I came to Korea, I, I thought, you know, I'm never, never going to do any acting in Korea. And uh, um, Much Ado About Nothing was really a, a thrilling thing for me. And uh, okay, a couple years on. ago... Sorry, hold on yeah. a second. Before we jump uh, uh, two feet into Korea... Um, I do want to get there, obviously, but I'm curious, like, why acting was the thing you wanted to do so badly. Uh, it's interesting. When I when I was in high school, I was a football player, and typical kind of muscle brain, and uh, barely graduated high school, and you know, didn't give, give a crap about school. And then when I was a sophomore in college, 
I auditioned for a play. My English and French teacher asked me to audition for The Crucible. And uh, I, I got the role of John Proctor. And that was my really first acting gig. And honestly, it was the, the happiest, safest, best feeling I'd ever had in my life was being on stage. I don't know if uh, it was a sense of escape or, or just, it just felt right. Yeah. Hmm. Someone's, see you next game. What's the score now? Okay. Uh, sorry. No, what, what, is, what is the score now? 7-2, uh, I think. So, but ah. I think we're going to hang on. Yeah. <laughs> I, swear, I swear, Carrie, if by the end of this interview, Lotte loses the game, I am so sorry for keeping you outside the stadium. <laughs> no problem. Um, uh, so, okay, so now you wanted yeah. to talk a bit about Korea. We can, I'm, I'm, we can go there now. I'm curious, why, what age did you move to, to, to Korea? Uh, I sneak, there, do, you, do you remember the EPIC program? It was a program recruiting teachers. And the yeah, cutoff run was... Run by the government. The, the cutoff was 55, and I, I turned 54, like two days before the deadline. So I came in um, in 2008 and just, just squeaked in under the deadline. <laughs> and so and why, really, I was just going to ask why you moved there at such a late age. Well, again, another <laughs> weird story. Uh, I had an 84-year-old stepfather, and when my mom was sick, he took great care of her. And his real daughters were not taking good care of him. So for two years, I was teaching at the University of South Carolina and being his full-time uh, caregiver. Uh, and he passed away. And so I really had this sense of uh, relief and I needed to do something, uh, make a big change. So I had investigated Korea earlier. Um, and then when he passed away, that was kind of the trigger to, to take the big leap. Um, but... I, uh, you know, I, I went, I, I commuted like an hour to work and then came back and, and cooked the meals, did the laundry, did the shopping and all that for him. And he, he wasn't a very, uh, thank, uh, gracious kind of person. So it was kind of a two years of hell taking care of him. So when he left, I, I sincerely wanted to do something for myself and didn't feel selfish at all about making the big leap coming here. So that was that was the impetus for me leaving uh, South Carolina and coming back, coming to Korea for the first time. And honestly, I anticipated staying a year, just seeing what it was like and then going back. And my first year, three years, I taught elementary school in Ulsan. And then I got the university gig and things were really nice. So I decided to stay and I've been here since 2008. So you've been there since 2008. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize you got there so much earlier than I did. Yeah, first first three years were Ulsan, though. So what were and you doing then, those first three? Uh, for for people who don't know, Ulsan is a is a mid sized city, pretty close to Busan, which is the second biggest city. So there's a lot of commuting back and forth. Is that sort of an accurate description? I don't know what else Ulsan has personally. <laughs> no, I lived in Ulsan and and taught elementary school. Uh, I I had taught university in South Carolina for eight years. And then, so it's kind of a, a different gig when I started teaching elementary school kids in Korea. But I taught elementary school for three years, and I lived in Ulsan. And then when I got the university gig, I moved uh, to Yangsan, which is about equidistance between Ulsan and Busan. So, 
Yeah, and it's like a suburb. So that's at, like, it's like the very end of the subway line um, in yeah. Tucson. Uh, so, I mean, were, were, well, were you happy teaching? I mean, it sounds like you, you know, you had some experience uh, in the elementary school setting, but I mean, were you happy changing tracks and teaching kids? Yeah, absolutely. Because I was really, really lucky. There are a lot of young, open-minded Korean teachers, and you—you've been in Korea. You know, usually everything is based on age, and obviously, I was much older than all my coworkers, but they were really open-minded, and I had some really cool um, um, coworkers, Korean coworkers. Uh, one of my favorite stories is there was a guy. He gave me a ride back and forth to school every day, and he's one day he said, "Carrie, can I tell you something?" And I said, "Sure." He said you're my best friend, Korean or foreigner. And then he said, Carrie, uh, when I get married, I hope you can come to my wedding. And I said, me too, Sungi. And then, then he said, Carrie, uh, when I have my first baby, I hope you can see my baby. And I said, me too, Sungi. And then he said, uh, Carrie, when you die, I hope I can go to your funeral. <laughs> and I was like, okay, man. The first the first two were cool. Third one, uh, not so much. <laughs> uh. That's good. That's and that's that's a kind of frank Korean humor, I think. Absolutely, yeah. And then I don't know if you can use this or not, but one day he said, uh, "Carrie, can I tell you a secret?" And I said, "Sure, Sunday." And he said, uh, "I sexed my girlfriend last night." <laughs> I went, "Okay, uh, congratulations. Uh, you, you don't have to, you know, that's not much of a revelation, but <laughs> I'm glad you, you you wanted to share." So, well, there's it a conservative. Kind of yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a conservative culture. It's a little bit more socially yeah. conservative and. Yeah, I've noticed the boys be a little bit boyishly giddy in that kind of way. Yeah, yeah, he was. I mean, he was thirty, probably thirty-two years old, but it was, he was like a sixteen-year-old telling me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you first moved to Korea, I mean, did you know that you were going to be uh, that you were going to stick around? No, absolutely not. I thought it would be just kind of a one-year experience, and then go back and continue teaching uh, at University of South Carolina. And, uh, you know, it's just, it was just very comfortable and very easy. And, uh, of course there were challenges every day, but in general, it was, uh, in many ways, much easier than the two year, two years previously when I was taking care of my stepdad and had lots of other obligations. So it was really kind of a, a freeing experience, you know? Um, so, and again, I'd made such close, uh, Korean friends and, uh, so it, it just, gradually uh evolved into what eight years now or so so um i was i was surprised and my friends were surprised and my family was surprised um, I, I have a twin brother and older brother that's predominantly my family but they were kind of shocked that i'm still here yeah everybody i know i went through the same epic program the same government run program everyone i know uh was maximum 30 years old it was you know you get there and there's this orientation and everybody's like drinking people start hooking up it's basically frosh week uh and, right, right, and that kind right. of vibe continues in my experience because you make friends with all the other english teachers and then there's more hooking up and more drinking every weekend staying out late and it's it's a very it's kind of like a you know insular kind of party vibe at some points unless you deliberately yeah, yeah. reach out so i'm very curious as to what that whole scene was like, what moving to Korea was like for you as yeah, well, someone who's older. In many ways, I wish I were younger so I could have been part, more a part of some of that hooking up. But uh, uh, in reality, you know, I've never had a Korean girlfriend. Um, 
and I, I've already, you know, I told everyone in the first year here, I drank more than I drank in 20 years in the States um, because you, you've seen the culture. So I, I got kind of into yeah. the drinking culture pretty heavy. <laughs> Need, needs, uh, to be, needs to be clarified, not, not because you're depressed and alcoholic, but because Korean, right, like right. you go out after work <laughs> yeah, and then you right. drink. That's like what coworkers do in Korea. Right. I mean, uh, this was kind of shocking. In elementary school, you play volleyball on a Wednesday afternoon. And in the elementary school gym, there's mockery and beer, you know, and, and in the States, the parents, if they heard there was alcohol in the elementary school gym, they would have just freaked out, you know. So that was my kind of introduction. And then after that, you go out and have dinner and drink and go to Noribong. And that's all with your elementary school co co-workers. So um, it was just part of the culture, you know, and um, I enjoy it. And now at the games, um, I, I, I'll come and say, I'm not going to drink anything tonight. And there's this one Ajima Sajik, she brings me beer every game and other people buy me beer. So I tell everyone, well, I feel obligated, you know, I have to drink the beer. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, uh, the, you, you described it exactly as kind of like a spring break environment. But for me, it was more about making friends and young, younger friends. And, uh, I've seen so many of those guys get married and, uh, last year I was the official at a wedding, uh, for two Lotte fans. I was, uh, I was like the equivalent to the, to the preacher or the reverend, a friend of mine translated and I, I gave the kind of sermon or whatever. So it was, it's really kind of interesting. So. Oh, Carrie, tell me you were wearing your Lotte Giants jersey. <laughs> no, no, no. I wore a coat and tie, but, uh, but again, yeah, you know, there's part of me that was envious of, of, the sometimes I wished I were younger so that I could in, indulge in some of those things. But overall, I've been really happy and uh, not just, a whole lot of regrets. Just yeah. to just to clarify, just to confirm, <clears throat> you uh, you've never been married. You don't have kids, right? No, never married. Never had kids. And you know, my my you mentioned uh, alcoholic. My father was an abusive alcoholic, and I think one of the reasons I never got married was I absolutely absolutely wanted to avoid becoming a father like he was and uh i know that's a kind of a goofy approach but uh that's one of the reasons you know i came close a couple of times and and backed out you know um when you're younger it's like i want to be free and and when you get older it's, uh, it's a little bit lonely <laughs> but uh yeah i've never buried and um sorry carrie you're uh, you're cutting out a little bit are you like walking around or anything yeah, I'll get back to where I was. Yeah, I was trying to see the scoreboard. <laughs> it should be very close to being over. Okay. Let me see if I can sneak at the scoreboard. Yeah, let's yeah let's 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 go this because I, I was going to start asking about baseball now. May as well. You know what, Carrie? Okay. Why don't, why don't you like go in? <laughs> let's just do this now. Why don't you just go into the stadium? I wouldn't mind so people can also hear like what a Korean baseball game is like. Sure. I'll head up the ramp right now. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Well, you, if it's if, if it's seven to six or something, I'm going to be devastated. But yeah, we might have to uh, cut the podcast short. Lotte's is for blowing leads. I mean, seven okay. seven zeros an enormous lead to blow in two yeah. innings. Oh, I've seen worse. They've had they've blown ten nothing leads before. So once once the bullpen comes in, it's pretty much a crapshoot. Yeah. Yeah, the Lotte fans coming out are not smiling, so 
uh, we'll see what's happening. What are they doing? <laughs> how, how many people are recognizing you right now? Uh, everybody, pretty much. <laughs> I must take a thousand pictures. And no, every game, honestly, I take probably at least a hundred pictures. Yeah. Before the game, during the game, after the game. If Lote wins, once I get cornered, you know, they, they're virtually lining up and, okay, I'm going, I'm about to go into the stadium. Okay. So it'll get loud. It'll get loud. Oh, still seven, nothing. Oh, so that guy lied to and, you. Yeah. Top of the ninth. Okay. Okay. So I'm in the stadium now. So you can hear some of the chants. Kim Sung-ho. And that his his cheer is to the song of Venus. So now it's it's eight to nothing. Yeah. Oh, well done. Who who got the run? Uh, his name is Kim Sung-ho, and his cheer is Kim Sung-ho, Lotte Kim Sung-ho. Onto Seria, onto Kim Sang Ho, and it's to the tune of that old tune, Venus. Yeah, that's right. Because every every player has their own song that is just the music from another song transposed with their name. There's even one that is to Phantom of the Opera, <laughs> and and I think they just ignore the copyright laws. Uh, um, so it's the. Uh, So now it's nine nothing. Lote. Yeah. So top of the ninth, nine nothing. Lote's had 15 hits. <laughs> wow. All right. Okay, Scoocari, I'm going to start asking you more questions about yourself. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. um, when did you start watching baseball? Well, uh, in 2008, the Office of Education in Ulsan took a field trip to Sajik. And that was when Idaho and. Uh, Garcia and some of the big names were there and they did pretty well then and they gradually declined and then when I started teaching in the university um, it was only like a 30-minute subway ride to Sajik so I started going more and more and then the last did they, did they get another run Kerry no, uh, the inning just ended so uh. it's the bottom of the ninth I'm going to go outside where it's a little bit more quiet. Sure, sure. I, I can barely hear you. Not outside, but outside the stadium. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, a little bit quieter. Yeah. So so I'm surprised. So so you, you first got into baseball when you moved to Korea. I assumed you'd been watching it since you were a kid. No, uh, I mean, like I said, I played football in high school. And my older brother played baseball, but I never played baseball. And um, it was just uh, the most interesting sport in Korea for me. And... Uh, um, so, yeah, uh, I, when I lived in Georgia, I did go to some Atlanta Braves games. Um, but football was my primary sport, yeah. Okay, so, so your first introduction was when, was, was when you moved to Ulsan and you went to Sajik Stadium. That's a stadium, in, a big stadium just, in Busan. It was just wide open. Uh, I use this quote a lot, but uh, the Koreans asked me what's the difference between MLB and KBO. And I tell them the MLB is like opera and KBO is rock and roll. I mean, it's, it's that much difference. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you could just tell me the whole, the, 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 the story of the transition from yeah, okay. fan to 
hashtag icon mascot. <laughs> it was crazy. It was three three years ago. Um, I, I I bought a season ticket, and so I wanted a jersey, but the Lotte didn't have my size, of course. So I ordered a San Francisco jersey with the San Francisco Giants. And on the back, I had to put uh, Weigukin fan in, in Hangul. And so the, the TV camera picked me up from that. That, that, means for, that means foreigner fan. Foreign fan, yeah, foreign fan. And uh, uh, this uh, NBC TV station came to my university and interviewed me and some of my students. And they said, why do you wear a San Francisco jersey? And I said, I can't find Lotte size. And I was joking. There's a player named Chejun Sok, and he's as big as I am or a little bit bigger. And I was joking, and I said, I, I need Chejun Sok size. And then one Sunday after the game, everyone said, Kerry, stay, stay, stay. And they called me on the field, and Chejun Sok gave me one of his real jerseys. And then Lotte called me and asked me to throw the first pitch. And then it kind of took off from there. And then last year, I did a commercial for an online video game. And I was on a TV series called Dong Song Imon. It's about conflicts between parents and kids. And the, the conflict was the parents were diehard Lotte fans and the, the kid hated baseball. So I was kind of, they asked me to kind of mediate. And it's one of the biggest programs in Korea. So after I was on that, it even escalated even more. So, um, And the Koreans think Lotte pays me. They think Lotte pays for my travel and all this. And they pay nothing. I tell everyone... Uh, out of this whole deal, I, I hadn't got paid and I hadn't got laid. So uh, <laughs> it's, it hasn't been as lucrative as everyone thinks. Yeah. Well, I was wondering about that because clearly, the, I mean, the team does some stuff for you. Do they not? No. Absolutely. Well, they, the jersey and the first pitch three years ago was that. That was it. Yeah. So, you know, the, the pictures and things, um, it can it can be a burden sometimes. I mean, even, I mean, I've been stopped on the subway at the airport. People even come into the toilet while I'm taking a leak and say, can I take a picture? No. Uh, and one time, 3 a.m. in Dejan, I was walking back home from a bar to my hotel, and I hear, Kerry. And this taxi stops, and the taxi driver comes running over. I'm from Busan. I'm a Lotte fan. Where are you going? And he gave me a free ride to my hotel. And then, of course, before I got out, he asked for a picture, but uh, it was at least a, a free taxi ride. Yeah, but Lotte, yeah. you know. Would you, would uh, you want to, like, would you want this sort of constant barrage, this fame to stop? Or are you, are you happy with it? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, it, it's almost like a second job. I, if if I, I'm worried, you know how Korea it is with uh, online. If I were ever rude to someone and say, no, I, I don't want to take a picture. I'm, you know, I, you can't take a picture. It would spread virally really quickly. And right now I have this kind of grandfatherly image where I'm nice to everyone and especially kids. And I mean, when we lose, it's, it's kind of, it's more of a burden because everyone, you know, you don't want to smile for pictures, but um, when we win, it's kind of fun. But yeah, sometimes it does get to be a little tedious. Um, but the only way I could end it is just stop going to the games and I enjoy going to the games. So it's kind of a trade off. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so just to be clear, Lotte doesn't even provide you with free season tickets or anything. No, there's another in Dejan. There's a foreign guy named Luke and, uh, the Hanwha Eagles and their organization gave him the season ticket last year. Uh, but Lotte has absolutely done nothing for me. Yeah. So, 
do you, do you uh, but sorry how, how do you how do you describe like do you consider yourself a, a de facto mascot or just an icon or just the most memorable fan like what would you call yourself I think just a, a serious fan, um, but I've become sort of an icon, uh, and it wasn't intentional. A lot of foreigners go to the games, and they wave at the camera, or they wear funky outfits and try to be on camera, and I never did that. I just try to fit in. You know, I know the cheers and the songs and all that, and I do them with the with the Koreans, so I think they, they kind of like that I fit in with the Korean baseball culture and that I'm, I don't only try to be famous for myself. Um, and there are lots of times at the games where I teach the Koreans the cheers, you know, the Koreans sitting next to me who don't know the songs, the cheers, and I kind of teach them the moves and the songs and things. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Has this affected your day job as a university professor at all? Like are more kids signing up to your classes? Do they want to take selfies on campus? Uh, stuff like that? My small university has gotten more recognition than they ever would have. Um, so many people come up and, and everyone, they, when they, they either call me Gussing Nam Professor or uh, sometimes uh, Santa Halobuchi, Santa Grandfather, or Lote Halobuchi, Lote Grandfather. But they all know where I teach. And uh, so the university has used my, my likeness in some PR. Nice to see you. Bye-bye. This girl just came and hugged me. Um, <laughs> so that's some little perks. And the Ajima who gives me beer. Yeah. I yeah. take it the game is ending. Yeah, yeah. And this guy wants to take a picture, so no, go yeah. for it. Bali Bali. Yeah, these two guys want to take a picture. But he was sweet. He he put the translation on his phone. Can I take a picture after your call? <laughs> <laughs> you you speak enough Korean that you can have light conversations, right? Yeah, yeah. Now I'm taking another picture with a girl. Sorry. The <laughs> lineup has begun. Thank you. You're welcome. Sure, no problem. And a, a boy and a girl, and their mom's taking pictures. <laughs> yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you. So yeah, uh, the game's still going on, and people are leaving early because they know it's over. So yeah, I got, I got asked, um, I got asked, because this is this is the question that that struck me the most is you wanted to be an actor, you you had you had thoughts of moving to New York, Hollywood. You know, you were stuck at home. Now you're in Korea. You are more famous now than you ever were as an actor. Yeah. Is that safe to say? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, every city I go to, people know me. And even, you know, even if I'm not wearing Lotte garb, people come up and ask for pictures. And um, so you're absolutely right. I mean, in a country of 50 million people. Um, and there was just a TV interview yesterday um, on KBS in and uh so after stuff like that, it gets, it intensifies, you know, um, what's that like? Like, is it, is it like, like, how do you feel about that sort of second, that Renaissance moment? Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Um, again, I, I wish there was some way to monetize it so that I could do this, you know, somehow and, and, you know, do commercials or something. And if, and if Lotte, if their marketing department were, were smart, they they've already got the built-in popularity. And all it would take is just finding the right little niche to do it. So um, that's that's frustrating. And sometimes I tell people I'm like the Kardashian of Korea. I'm I'm famous for doing absolutely nothing and having no talent. But uh, <laughs> I'm expected to be nice to everybody. I'm expected to take pictures with everybody. And it, I start joking now when people say, "Can I have a picture?" I say, "One dollar." 
and they went, oh, oh. And, and if I had a dollar for every picture, I could absolutely retire. Oh. So, um, but yeah, but it's fun. I mean, it's much, it's much better than some, you know, having a boring life in the States. And uh, my twin brother, he's a former diplomat in Japan. And so, uh, I mean, I've met people from Japan, Vietnam, Czechoslovakia, Ireland, who are Lotte fans, and lots of people watch games online. And sometimes they'll visit Seoul, and I've had people, hello, how are you? And people from Vietnam will come up and say, I saw you in Vietnam, can I take a picture? A, a girl from Czechoslovakia, same thing. And so it's kind of a weird situation. The three things you've done, <clears throat> like being a professor, being an actor, this job where you get up in front of people, they're all spotlight jobs, right? Like, like, I'm sorry, you, say again? like they're all like jobs that put you in a spotlight in front of a crowd. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, is there, so, I mean, is this, could, do you see this sometimes as just another acting gig? Like, do you see pro, uh, your whole life in Korea as another acting gig? I, yeah. Well, you know how when you're here, you're kind of on stage the whole time. But ultimately, um, I'm a pretty insecure kind of person. Uh, my twin brother was very, very smart. My older brother was a great athlete. And I, and I was the one who had great potential. Uh, and and uh, so I don't know if that's why I decided to be an actor is to overcome that or whatever. But um, in a lot of ways, again, it's sometimes I feel kind of paranoid. I feel like people are always watching. And um, so there's some pressure to it all. But like you said, I absolutely think teaching is, is a you know, 90% performance. Um, so it's an extension of that, yeah. Do you think you'll ever leave Korea? Uh, I, I've joked with the Koreans, I, I'm not going to leave until Lotte wins a championship. And and they say, oh, you'll ne you will never leave Korea. <laughs> uh, they're singing Lotte songs now. Sing with them. Lotte Giants, Lotte Giants. Yeah, yeah, and I love the pronunciation. There's a guy, his name's Andy Burns, and they pronounce it Bunza. Andy Bunza. Yeah. Well, I actually did. I actually did want to hear uh, some of the like, like the Lotte song. Okay, I'll, I'll see if I can move to work. Okay, I'll, 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 I'll just. I'll just. I'll, I'll just hold the phone where you can hear. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. Respect you. Sorry. Oh, thank you, thank you. Okay. Yeah, respect you. Okay, so now. Oh, 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 Okay, there's a crowd of people around me all wanting pictures. Okay, <laughs> honestly, honestly, Carrie, I have no more questions. Yeah. You you okay. can take your selfies. Okay, you're welcome. Yeah, no, thanks so much for doing this, Carrie. This was this was fantastic. Okay, talk to you later. Have a good night. Bye bye. This has been a production of Outpost Travel Media. This show is produced and edited by Seth Earle and me, Michael Freeman. Our executive producers are Matt Robinson and Deborah Sanborn. Sound mixing assistance by David Spadavecchia. And our music is by Springtide. 
Thanks again to Carrie for chatting with me. If you want to see pictures of the two of us performing Much Ado About Nothing, you can find some of those at outpostmagazine.com. And if you want to see Carrie's viral popularity for yourself, check out Instagram, hashtag Carrie Marr. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to it on iTunes or anywhere else. This is our first season, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, so leave us a comment and rating while you're there. Thanks, and see you next time.